much. Another edition of Midday on the Rural Radio Network. And uh, we're going to uh, open up quickly here on a microphone with Clay Patton. Susan has been closely following the Senate markup on the latest farm bill, Uh and it was a vote of 20 to 1. Senator Chuck Grassley from Iowa voted against it. So uh, Senator Pat Roberts saying maybe not the best bill, but the best bill possible. So good to see that. Quick rundown of what the ag team is up to today. Of course, Shaley Peters on at 1219 with uh, BASF Chemical. They're going to be talking about some of the latest and greatest updates there. I'm continuing my uh, interview segments this week on international trade. Today we talk with Craig Uden. Of course, uh, Dar County Peters, as well as a former NCBA president, talking about how important beef exports are to the county level. And then Shaley is back on at 117 with Greg Kruger on volunteer corn. Okay, very good. Thanks very much, Clay. Thanks for dropping in here. Uh, Jason Jorgensen, uh, offense, the topic today in sports. Yeah, we will hear from Nebraska offensive coordinator Troy Walters. He was part of the coaching staff that made that uh, huge sweep across the state in the last two days. I think the guys... Stopped in more than 20 cities, all four corners of the state. Uh, Coach Walters was in York yesterday. We'll get his thoughts about getting things started with the Huskers. Also, if you are a big fan of soccer, then you have to be excited because uh, the United States has put in, I'm not quite sure how this all works, but they they put in a joint bid with Mexico and Canada to host the World Cup in 2026. World Cup has not been played in the United States since 1994. That's quite a coup, then. It is. It's good this all went down before that meeting last week in Canada. <laughs> I don't know if the bid would have been the same. Maybe so. All right, Bob Brogan, you've got us. Uh, we've got a little bit of an increase coming from the Fed, huh? Well, that's kind of what the market is saying: is that uh, it's the Federal Reserve is expected to raise interest rates this afternoon, and so that's already kind of budgeted in. It's probably not going to be a big shock to a lot of people. Of course, the AT&T and Time Warner antitrust ruling is uh, still sending some shock waves through, so uh, there's going to be some ramifications from that, and the market's still kind of uh, trying to uh, figure out how it's going to go on that. All right, we'll explore it all for you coming up on today's Midday. We've got Paul Perkins here with some information about what's expected. We're coming out of the lower 70s, and we're headed for lower 80s before this is over, huh? Exactly, yeah. That's uh, still the expected high across the area, low to mid-80s for the most part. Uh, some pockets of the region still seeing some cloud cover and locked into temperatures in the low 70s. We do have areas, though, where we're seeing a lot more sunshine, and that's where temperatures have warmed into the upper 70s to near the 80-degree mark. Also, some showers and thunderstorms over north-central Nebraska and north-central Kansas. Yeah, and expecting a little bit more to start coming our way. This ag weather is brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Some of those showers and thunderstorms over north-central Kansas, mainly from about Osborne down to Hayes, Kansas, all that activity moving up towards east. Maybe a little bit of uh, one-inch size hail just to the southwest of Osborne, Kansas. And also some showers and thunderstorms. Over north-central Nebraska, mainly light activity north of Bartlett up to about O'Neill and Atkinson. We have had reports of some 
three-quarter inch size hail just to the west of Chambers in north central Nebraska. Some stronger activity, though, in the south central South Dakota where there are some severe thunderstorms warning, severe thunderstorm warnings in effect, and including uh, northwestern portions of Cherry County just to the west of Valentine in a severe thunderstorm warning right now. But that activity moving up towards the east. Scattered thunderstorms will remain possible for today and tonight. That's thanks to a warm front and an area of low pressure lifting north. Due to a little bit more cloud cover scattered about the area and those rain chances, temperatures will stick around seasonal levels for today. Summer heat, though, arriving for tomorrow through Saturday with a high-pressure ridge over the southern plains building back to the north. That ridge gets pushed off to the east by Sunday and cools our temperatures just slightly for the Father's Day holiday. There is a chance of thunderstorms arriving by Sunday night with a cold front. Some severe weather does look possible as some warm air combines with that front and plenty of instability. Still a little too early to tell for sure, but widespread thunderstorm chances look to be a fairly good bet early next week as low pressure tracks onto the plains. At least one forecast bottle even brings the leftovers of Hurricane Bud to the Panhandle and eastern Colorado. Temperatures actually expected to cool back towards seasonal levels as we head towards early next week. But that cool down doesn't look to last long. Temperatures for Nebraska and Kansas should be seasonal early next week, and then will trend warmer than normal the middle of next week through June 26th. For late June in central Nebraska, for reference here, daytime highs usually average in the mid-80s, with overnight lows on average in the upper 50s to around 60. Above normal rainfall predicted for Nebraska and Kansas early next week, but that outlook turns drier than normal for both Nebraska and Kansas late next week through the 26th. After the second coldest April on record, the month of May in central Nebraska for most locations ranked as the third to sixth warmest on record. And it was the warmest May since 1977, so over 40 years it was one of the warmest. To show the contrast between April and May temperatures, the average temperature for May was 24 degrees warmer than the average temperature in April. So that's why it did feel much warmer yeah, last really month. It was, wasn't it? <laughs> it was a cold one last month, or in April, and much warmer last month. Weather factors affecting the markets include the lighter precipitation forecast for the next week in the Midwest and continued mostly dry weather over the Black Sea region. A few pockets of dryness are persisting right now in the Corn Belt. Missouri leads the Midwest with topsoil moisture rated 58% very short to short. During the second half of this week, heat will spread east across the plains and Midwest. Tomorrow, triple-digit heat is expected on the plains as far north as South Dakota. Weekend temperatures could approach 100 in parts of the south and west Corn Belt. Very little stress is forecast for the Midwest row crops over the next few days, but the warmer to hotter weather late this week and the coming weekend needs to be watched for some possible stress to crops. In the Black Sea region, thunderstorms have developed in parts of northeast and southeast, or make that northeast and southwest Ukraine the past 24 hours. That's going to help ease some dryness concerns for some areas, but more widespread and frequent rain is needed to reverse the recent dry trend over the rest of Ukraine on into southern Russia. All right, and your regional ag weather has been brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. Uh, after we get through this next little bit of storms, it's really going to take off temperature-wise, isn't it? Yeah, that big ridge of high pressure over the southern plains building north, so a very typical summer-like pattern that you probably see in mid to late July on the way for late June here. Okay. Well, for a few look, days anyhow. Really looking forward to that. <laughs> Getting out there and sweating like a, well, I'm not even going to say what like. Uh, and we want to remind you, when you need weather anytime, krvn.com. <laughs> 
committee passes bipartisan farm bill on a 20 to 1 vote. I'm Shaylee Peters with you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday check of your ag news. Susan Littlefield has an update for us. They delivered on a promise. The Senate Ag Committee Chair Pat Roberts of Kansas and Ranking Member Debbie Stabenoff, Michigan, announced that the Agricultural Improvement Act of 2018 was favorably reported out of the committee with bipartisan support. I want to really thank my colleagues for joining in this important process today. I ask unanimous consent to submit for the record letters of support from a variety of stakeholders urging committee action on this issue and support for the substitute amendment as well as member statements for the record. I would simply add, this is not the best possible bill, but rather this is the best bill possible. I am proud and stand by the work conducted here at the committee. I thank the distinguished ranking member. I thank all members in attendance uh, conducting legislative work through regular order and utilizing the committee process in a bipartisan and transparent manner. With hope it'll be on the Senate floor before the 4th of July recess. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. And USDA Trade Undersecretary Ted McKinney is leading a trade delegation to Japan this week and said he hopes that the U.S. and Japan can start moving forward with more formal trade talks between the two countries despite the possible risks from tariffs. I do know that the U.S. and I think frankly Japan as well want very much to get into some uh, trade discussions. I think the difference is the U.S. is on a path looking at a focused one-on-one bilateral, whereas we've heard, of course, that Japan would prefer that uh, the U.S. rejoin the TPP. That, too, was not a heavy piece of our focus or our discussion, so I'll leave that to the president and others. Uh, the group is remarkably upbeat. They, they are realistic. They know that there are tariffs. There might be more coming, uh, but, uh, but they, they recognize the importance of this market. Many of them have been here before and want to sustain and grow their business. So I didn't detect any sense of, um, uh, of disparity. It was all optimistic, and it was one of, you know, we'll roll with whatever we've got. And speaking of trade, there's plenty of negative trade news currently, and agriculture seems to be included in many of those headlines. One producer, though, says he sees possibility. Clay Patton has more. Personal responsibility and transparency. That's what it takes in agriculture today. Consumers want to know where their food comes from and how it was raised. This definitely adds more to an already long to-do list for producers. But Craig Uden, former NCBA president and cattle feeder, believes that producers who follow this path could open new markets. A lot of these countries are continuing to want to increase their diet and want the high quality. You know, price is always going to be somewhat of a factor, but uh, we have lots of new emerging markets that we continue to work on. I know we get hung up on some of these others, but, you know, as people continue to manage their their cattle in a responsible way and, and, and look to find different opportunities to add value, it looks like it's all in the export growth area. Uden also notes that countries can source cheaper beef, but in his talks with foreign consumers, no one can match U.S. quality. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Clay Patton. Keep up to date on all that is happening in the ag news world by visiting ruralradio.com. That's a look at your midday ag news for a Wednesday. I'm Shaylee Peters on the Rural Radio Network. 
for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters, and we're back this week with our BASF Technical Service Representative, and we visit this week with Eric Schultz. And Eric, we're going to be talking this week about soybeans and herbicide applications. We'll catch up with you in a bit on that and some different practices. But first, let's just get an update. It's been a few weeks since we've talked to you. Get an update in your area on growing conditions and how crops are looking. We have certainly had very favorable and excellent growing conditions on the eastern side of Nebraska recently. Uh, Plenty of rains, uh, nights for the corn and the beans. Um, Unfortunately with that we have also had a couple instances of hail and strong winds. Um, But for the most part on the eastern side of the state we are looking very good with our corn. A majority of it is approaching or just over the V5 stage and some of the latest or earliest planted corn is near the V8 stage. Um, Soybeans are filling in very nicely, spitting out the trifoliates, and we're moving right along again. Excellent conditions. And so now to get into looking this week at mid-post herbicide applications, we'll talk about these applications in soybeans specifically this week. Yes, so we are we're getting about three trifoliates on a majority of our soybeans and some are even farther along with four and easily five too. Um, but one of the most important points with uh, post applications in soybeans being a residual herbicide with that application. We are still a long way from crop canopy and that is going to be very imperative to fill that gap uh, with weed control. And two of our products that we offer for post-residuals and soybeans are Outlook herbicide and Zidua herbicide. Zidua we can apply up to the V3 stage and Outlook up to the V5. And something definitely important to talk about when we are looking at herbicide applications is making on-target applications. certainly is important with any application to make sure we get as much of that application on the area we are trying to control weeds in. And when we're talking about Ingenia herbicide, it is even more imperative that we are monitoring our wind speeds between 3 and 10 miles per hour and also surveying our surrounding areas around our not our dicamba tolerant soybean field, uh, making sure we know where sensitive areas and sensitive crops are around that field. And then also talking about the benefits to adding residual herbicides to post applications. Well, our main two weeds we are targeting are Palmer amaranth and water hemp. And these are two weeds which can emerge any time throughout the growing season until the end of September. So we will be certainly on those tough acres battling emergence, continual emergence, uh, after this last, hopefully last, post-application. So we want to make sure that we get something out there to control those late emerging water hemp or Palmer amaranth plants which are extremely detrimental to our yields and can certainly produce plenty of seeds for us to have issues next year again. All right, thanks so much, Eric. It's Eric Schultz, BASF Technical Service Representative. We talked this week about mid-post herbicide applications in soybeans. Eric will be back with you next week talking about some herbicide applications in corn. You can tune in every Wednesday right here to catch up with BASF. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening today to the Rural Radio Network.
It's midday on the Rural Radio Network. Let's check sports now with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, Nebraska offensive coordinator Troy Walters was a part of the Husker Coaches Tour that made their way across the state this week. Walters was a part of a group that made a stop in York yesterday, and he feels good about things as the Huskers get set for fall camp. The transition here is a lot has been a lot easier than it was to, to UCF. Yeah, year one here has been easier than year one there, and and I'm excited to continue to uh, put the foot to the to the pedal and install even more and, and give those guys a lot more of the offense because once it's all in and once they grasp and understand everything, then the sky's the limit. And you are set to begin fall workouts on August 1st. Broncos pass rusher Shane Ray will undergo another operation on his left wrist. It's his fourth surgery since August and one that he hopes will finally allow him to return to the field healthy. Ray is entering a contract year, so he's hopeful he'll be back by mid-August. After a couple of years of little turnover, the Kansas City Chiefs are plenty busy during their three-day minicamp. They have new faces on the coaching staff and plenty of new names on the field. Nebraska head coach Mark Manning and associate head coach Brian Snyder have been named the winners of the 2017 Terry McCann Freestyle Coaches of the Year Award by USA Wrestling. They pick up this award after guiding Jordan Burroughs to a world title and James Green to a world silver medal last year. In addition to their duties with the NU program, Manning and Snyder worked together as coaches for the Nebraska Regional Training Center, where a number of top men's freestyle athletes train. The pair serve as the personal coaches of Burroughs, an Olympic gold medalist and four-time world champion, and Green, who's a two-time world medalist. And the United States will co-host the Soccer World Cup in 2026 after winning a joint bid with Mexico and Canada to hold the sport's biggest competition. Delegates from International Soccer's governing body voted today at their Congress in Moscow to select the joint North American bid. That's a day before this year's World Cup kicks off in Russia. The vote means a World Cup will come to the United States for the first time since 1994, and the United States will play host to at least 60 games, including the quarterfinals, while Mexico and Canada will take 10 each. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Slight chance of thunderstorms across the state tonight. Lows in the 60s. I'm Dave Schroeder. Nebraska Land Days begins its 10-day run today and continues through June 23rd in North Platte. David Fudd serves as executive director of the celebration and explains the significance of it. This is a, really a celebration of who we are as Nebraskans. So uh, we love a bunch of stuff around here. We like our Western heritage, so we're, we're going to celebrate that with our PRCA Buffalo Bill Rodeo uh, for four nights. We're, we love food. We like to eat. Uh, we, we've become very good at brewing uh, beer around this state, so we're going to do a little of that as well. And then we're going to celebrate with some good old country music. So uh, this is Nebraska Land Days. If somebody were to ask me, what does it look like every year? I'd show them this festival this year because this is about as stock and as true to our roots as we can get it. More information about the festival and ticket information can be found at NebraskaLandDays.com. Hearings are beginning today to decide whether a former doctor should be executed for killing four people connected to an Omaha medical school. A three-judge panel will determine whether Anthony Garcia will be sentenced to death or life in prison. He was convicted in the 2016 killing of 11-year-old son and a housekeeper at Creighton University faculty member William Hunter in 2008 and killing pathology doctor Roger Brumbach and his wife in 2013. 
Prosecutors say Garcia blamed Hunter and Brumback for his 2001 firing from Creighton's pathology residency program. The jurors who convicted Garcia found evidence of several aggravating circumstances that could lead to his execution. The sentence won't be rendered for at least a month. A man is expected to recover from his near drowning in a western Iowa lake. The Iowa Natural Resources Department said that the man fell into the water Saturday evening at Lake Manawa in Council Bluffs from a personal watercraft driven by his wife. Conservation officer Adam Arnold says another person on a personal watercraft spotted the man and took him to safety on shore. He was soon taken to a Council Bluffs hospital. The injured man was identified as 54-year-old Lawrence Wienicke. His wife identified as 59-year-old Geraldine Wienicke. They live in Omaha. Crews have extinguished a fire at a biofuels plant in western Kansas. The Clark County Sheriff's Office said that the blaze at the EGE plant near Mineola, Kansas, was put out by 6 p.m. last evening. The fire began burning around noon at the plant, which is located around 150 miles west of Wichita. No injuries reported, but residents of a few homes near the plant were urged to evacuate because of the smoke. The Kansas Department of Agriculture says the plant manufactures additives that are designed to keep fertilizer from drifting into the air and also might work with ethanol. EGE Products thanked the first responders in a Facebook post and said appropriate authorities have been notified the cause of the fire is under investigation. Great ag and news coverage at your fingertips. Click podcasts and videos right under Listen Live at KRVN.com. I'm Dave Schroeder. Good afternoon on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Clay Patton. We dive further into exports and their importance at the county level. This all ahead of the International Trade Town Hall this coming Thursday in Lexington, hosted by the Council for Economic Development. International trade a world away, yet very close to home. Today we break down beef, and we're talking with Craig Uden, of course, former National Cattlemen's Beef Association president and Dawson County resident. And Craig, thank you for joining us today. As we start, what beef products are exported from Dawson County. Basically, Clay, the, the parts of the animal that we don't normally consume, okay, we have a lot of off-all value, but uh, we also have a lot of things like oxtail and short ribs and stuff like that that isn't a great uh, value to us. Tongues, for example, when we lost the export market, the value of those tongues worth about uh, 75 cents a tongue today. They're worth closer to five to six dollars because other consumers around the world uh, consume what we don't. That adds value all the way through because... Uh, we don't have those exports. We uh, we lose the value of our, of our cattle pretty quickly. 2017 uh, exports were basically contributing to about $300 per head on a live for every steer and heifer in the United States. Today, uh, first uh, three four months of this year, it's over $325. When you throw in the hides and and all the uh, other byproducts that go along with the beef trade on export. We're pushing up there in the high threes to almost $400 value for every steer and heifer produced in the United States. Now, Dawson County in particular, Craig, is unique in the fact that it represents all segments of the beef industry. Does this give it uh, advantages over other producers where it's so close to where they can export those kind of products? Dawson County is typical in Nebraska, raising a high-quality beef product uh, from gate to plate, and we see a lot of uh, cow-calf operations, stalker operations, and also uh, finishing. The one unique thing is the processing in Dawson County. The local processor here is, is vital to the exports because it uh, not only ships to all major countries, uh, it's one of the few that has uh, opened up the door and, 
and uh, a lot of this product is available to China, which has not been on our radar for 14 years. We've been uh, excluded in in the China market, but now that we're back, we have that opportunity. And so, yes, it's very unique uh, to this area. Over 40 million dollars beef was exported out of this county last year. And that continues to grow as we continue to open markets. You were talking about China. When you were the National Cattlemen's Beef Association president, you had the opportunity to go to China and talk with consumers there. What did they like about U.S. beef? It was a tremendous opportunity to go over there. I had been over there uh, oh, probably seven, eight years ago, but uh, what I saw this time was a growing middle class that uh, really clamoring for a higher uh, quality product, and U.S. beef is by far the leading product over there. Cost is an issue, but what they really like is the taste and the flavor of beef. They can noticeably taste it uh, compared to some of our competitors. Basically, what they've seen in the past is a lower quality beef, and, and so we're really working into a small market, a niche market to start with over there, but the high quality is what they really, really like, and and they do have a growing middle class, over 350 million people, and they're growing middle class. And they're basically, uh, for what I, we could tell, they were kind of 20 to 40-year-olds. And when you have 1.3 billion people and 350 million that uh, have a growing income, uh, we need to be in that. Uh, we have to crawl before we walk and walk before we run. But I do think uh, in six to seven years we could see uh, China making a big impact on the beef industry, and it comes right back here to Dawson County. Was there anything they didn't like about U.S. beef? Well, the biggest thing we had to get over with when they shut us out, it was because of the BSE. So they always have that concern about safety. The price uh, point is very high compared to some of the competition, but the quality is very great. So, again, we have to develop those markets, and, and that's why as producers we need to go over there. And they need to see us. Uh, they sure saw the cowboy hats and wondered why we were there, and we had great conversations throughout and great media coverage. And it was a tremendous kickoff. To the producer's perspective when it comes to exports, what type of return do they see from these added values that exporting these off-fall products, exporting regular beef, what does that, what portion of that comes back to the Dawson County beef producer in particular? The value per head is about $300. So if we were raising a 600-pound calf at, in, in uh, Dawson County, that would equate really to about $50 per head. Uh, what the potential would be for exports. Uh, that's, a, that's a pretty sizable uh, dollar amount back to the producer. And where we're so close, again, from the gate to the plate aspect, there's not a lot of transportation. So it really adds value back to our pocket fairly quick in, in here because we don't have to transport those cattle. So everything holds a little higher value from, from start to finish. And as we look forward, we think that... Uh, as I suggested, the first three to four months of this year, we're approaching $325 on added value uh, to the beef carcass. And when you throw the offal, such as the hide and, and some of the, the meat and bone and stuff like that, uh, it, it adds even more. So it goes right direct back to the producer pocket back over here. That's Craig Uden talking to us about the importance of exports to the beef industry, not only in the state of Nebraska, but breaking it down clear to Dawson County and its importance there. This is the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities unavailable today. Moderate price pressure was seen in the entire cattle complex today. As we finished 20 cents to 60 cents lower in live cattle, 
15 cents to 87 lower in the feeder cattle. Now, the market losses were firm as uh, traders continue to look at pressure in grain and feeder cattle trade. The overall lack of support in the complex could bring additional weakness through uh, tomorrow. Limited trade volume as well. Cash cattle activity is quiet. The bids came out this morning, 110 live basis, 178 to 180 dressed, but asking prices far above that at 117 to 118 live and 185 to 190 on a dress trade. Fed cattle auction this morning had a total of 596 head, but none sold. Sharp gains developed in the nearby lean hog contracts, except for the very front month, helping draw additional underlying support into all the hog trade. We saw cash markets again, uh, pretty much a dollar higher today. So we've seen those bids come in, as we told you, on the live basis of 110, Kansas, Nebraska, and Texas, 178 to 180 on address trade for cattle complex. And let's take a look. Total cattle slaughter through the first three days this week has been estimated at 352,000. 4,000 less than last week, 2,000 less than the same week a year ago. Hog slaughter projected for the first three days of 1,339,000. That would be 5,000 less than last week. However, it would be uh, 63,000 more than the same week one year ago. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. With the 2018 growing season well underway across Nebraska, you don't have to look too far to see volunteer corn. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Our guest today is Greg Kruger. He is a weed science and pesticide application specialist with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. And Greg, it doesn't matter, soybean fields, corn fields, there is a lot of volunteer corn out there this year, which can be an issue for growers. And we'll talk about some of that coming up. But just give us an update so far of what you've seen in this growing season. Yeah, thank you, Shaylee. Uh, it's it's uh, a pleasure to give a little bit of an op- update on where we're at. It's uh, uh, certainly uh, there's a ban through uh, Nebraska where we had a lot of down corn last year. And we're seeing a lot of volunteer corn come through because of that. Um, it's it's a, it's a tricky situation. Uh, we're hoping that most of our uh, growers uh, have rotated into soybeans or something uh, this year because that really opens up the management. Uh, volunteer corn in corn uh, becomes a, a much bigger challenge to deal with. Uh, and so uh, uh, hopefully uh, hopefully where we're seeing a lot of that volunteer corn pop up in fields is in, in soybean fields, not corn fields. So let's take a look at the soybeans first then, because as you mentioned, that's maybe a little bit more manageable. What are some options for growers that are seeing a lot of volunteer corn with their soybeans? Sure. So, uh, you know, uh, our first option, and that would have been uh, across cropping systems, would have been to, to get some sort of uh, uh, livestock to go across the field, try to clean some of that out. Uh, now that we're into the season, uh, our, our options are a little bit more limited. And since most of our fields are planted, we're looking at only in-season uh, uh, management options. For soybeans, uh, you know, that means uh, our, our best, uh, best bet's going to be with our ACCH inhibitors, which are our grass killers, as most of, most people would recognize them. So products like Select Fusion, Fuse Laid, uh, uh, things like that are, are going to be our best option. 
when we use those products, we're going to want to make sure that we're out there uh, on top of them early. Uh, we don't want to wait till that volunteer corn is two or three foot tall to try to take it down. Uh, get out there early. Uh, if I'm if I'm uh, mixing that with other products uh, uh, other than just glyphosate, I'm probably going to want to consider using a, a little bit higher rate than I might have used in the past, particularly because those uh, volunteer corn populations are heavier than uh, what we normally see. And then we'll talk about the corn because there are corn on corn rotations and options are maybe a little more limited. Yeah, so I, I hope our listeners uh, won't won't, uh, won't uh, get me too bad for saying this. Our, our options are very limited at this point. Uh, our best bet to, to take out that volunteer corn is going to be uh, some sort of uh, uh, tillage system. Uh, so uh, inter-row cultivations is where we're really looking at probably having the best success at this point. And for those growers struggling to control volunteer corn in their corn crops, what does that look like later in the season? What kind of effects can that have on yield? So uh, the biggest one uh, we're going to be looking at is going to be uh, uh, competition with those uh, those corn plants that we or those corn seedlings that uh, we put out in the field. So uh, uh, we're looking at the yield loss. Uh, we know uh, for corn it's really important to have uh, a nice uniform stand, uh, make sure that we get uh, uh, uniform seed spacing, uniform seeding depth. And when we get volunteer corn out there, uh, uh, it can play havoc in terms of that uniform growth and, and development of those uh, those corn plants that we uh, that we're hoping to harvest in the fall. Our guest today, Greg Kruger, weed science and pesticide application specialist with the University of Nebraska Lincoln for the Rural Radio Network. I'm Shaylee Peters. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network with double-digit losses today in winter wheat and soybean futures, corn just slightly lower. With us, John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Well, opposite sides here, uh, the the, uh, outside markets did not seem to react violently to the Fed's announcement of a rate increase today. No, I guess that's good. So far, everything's been pretty stable. We did see, I think, you know, markets maybe front-run it a little bit. As we saw the lows made, oh, maybe 10 minutes before the, no- the announcement came out. Not sure if that was just correlation or random uh, random act there, but uh, it was just another nasty day. Let be blood by beans, nine nine sixty now, which is the harvest price from a year ago. You would think we'd catch some some breaks uh, here as we we fall, but delivery or options expiration isn't for another week, and I, I think we probably see this continue or at least stay down here through uh, opex. Um, kind of taking the game plan from a year ago when we broke, uh, I think we were trading like 415 and traded down to about 380 on the December 17 contract, and then it rallied back up and almost traded 420 before falling apart. I think the bulls are hoping that we see that kind of price action again. The weather certainly looks like it could be a factor here, but. Again, short term, it doesn't look like we're going to get much love. We've gotten bullish data from the USDA, and that really hasn't helped. Well, July soybeans on track for the lowest close in nearly a year, but it isn't just happening in the U.S., is it? No, I mean this is everywhere, and I think uh, you know the foreign currency markets are really melting down. Um, I, I think trade is really the scary thing right now, and and, and beans being the forefront of the, of the, of the export markets. Uh, you know, even a market like cotton, for example, that had awesome data yesterday and just very confirmation of good, couldn't get a, a gain today. So uh, it's, it just feels to me like you're seeing money move to the sidelines. Like we tend to see at this time of the year as, as we enter the, you know, the, the end of the 
the second quarter. Um, that was the low, if you recall. I mean, the end of the second quarter for a lot of these commodities was good. It didn't happen that way for grains, though. So maybe we'll cross our fingers. We'll get a little love this year. One correlation we did see break today was, was wheat had been leading everything. We'd see wheat, grain, corn, and beans were down. Today it was wheat down heavy, beans down heavy, and corn actually, you know, almost unchanged on the day. You've got to feel pretty good about that. Thanks for the comments, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. As we mentioned, uh, not just happening to U.S. prices for the low soybeans, Brazil's FOB price is at its lowest level in nine months. And oats closed seven and a half to nine and a quarter lower. That's a pretty good percentage drop for them. Go to uh, danielzagmarketing.com for more information. Dewey Nelson reporting.